0: Politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The conservative review with Daniel Horowitz.
1: And welcome back, fellow American Patriots and Minutemen, yearning to live and breathe free air again to the one and only CR podcast. This is your host, Daniel Horowitz, back in the house, haggard, exasperated, but as always enthusiastic to speak with you and give over the truth more now than ever. Uh, it is Friday. I'm going to have a little bit of a tenuous week next week. I'm going to do a pre-record uh, for for uh, Tuesday. We, obviously, we're off for the ridiculous Labor Day, which is a just notional holiday. Um, folks, I'm going to try not to raise my voice today. I, I just I, I can't take it anymore. I'm so pissed. We're going to have Dr. Ryan Cole on in a few minutes to just give us – as much of an update as we can get on all these things (sighs) do you want to know what a fourth world country is some of you might have seen this but I'll describe through this story what a fourth world country is you see in a third world country you just don't have access to stuff in a fourth world country you have God given resources up the wazoo and you burn them So here's what's happening now. We are now bringing in hundreds of thousands of unvetted Afghani refugees, Islamic supremacists, unvetted, and we're giving them ivermectin while unlikely forcing them to get vaccinated while blocking Americans from getting that life-saving treatment. For those of you who don't know what I'm talking about, this is not me, but some great Internet sleuth discovered a memo from CDC in 2019 on protocols for the doctors screening the refugees in their home countries before embarkment on the planes. And then, you know, when they come here and one of their recommendations is to give ivermectin in mass to every everyone. So it's not just some obscure drug or something like. Rarely, everyone coming from Asia, Africa, and Latin America. Oh, Daniel, but that's anti-parasitic. Not the point. Okay, that's that's a separate discussion. These same vermin are saying this is a horse dewormer, dangerous, and they give it to refugees. So you know what that means. Right now, tons of them are coming here. You know what that means. They are getting ivermectin, while we cannot. You wonder if they're driving up this supply, drying up the supply a little bit too. The question is if an Afghani says, hey, I also have COVID, are they going to not give him ivermectin? Because after all, it can only be used for parasitic infection. This is post biblical, what is going on. It is unbelievable. There are no words to describe what is going on in this country. Okay? I just don't know what to say anymore. Now I want you guys to follow me at RM Conservative before I'm kicked off Twitter. I have a lot of important links if you want to search Ivermectin and then at RM Conservative. For those of you who know how to use the search search function on Twitter. So basically, I have a lot of good information that I don't always get a chance to share or links that I can't. It's hard to give over um, you know, through word of mouth. But there's a terrific 24 Uh, minute video that someone put out on the history of ivermectin the fight against it it is unbelievably well done very 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 compelling um john one of our listeners in new york actually put out a great paper comparing remdesivir to ivermectin terrific research we have in this audience so uh, i linked to that as well on my twitter account if you just kind of scroll down although you might have to search so again there's a lot going on there but it is surreal what is going on. Again, the two important things going on now is that the vaccination that they keep pushing is reinforcing a cycle of leakiness, which, as you guys know, if you read either the PBS or National Geographic story on Marek's disease for the chicken vaccine, it will literally read like it happens That In fact, in the PBS article, it says... And if this were ever to happen with human vaccines, one of the signs would be a vaccine that only defrays symptoms but does not stop transmission. And indeed, now we're seeing it's worse than that. It doesn't stop transmission. It doesn't stop symptoms. It stops for some people for about five months, depending on who you are, critical illness, and then rapidly goes down from there. Right now in Israel, 86% of all cases are from vaccinated people. I believe 85% of the country is vaccinated. So what does that tell you? Sweden has now banned travel from Israel. (laughs) The, The irony of all ironies. They're the ones that supposedly were lax. But they're right. They have very few deaths. Because they likely achieved majority degree of herd immunity before the leakiness of the Pfizer created this enhanced viral load. And again, this is not, I'm not speculating here. I mean, some of the details still have to be proven. But here's what we know. You didn't see people in their 20s, 30s, and 40s en masse get very seriously ill, and then a lot of them even die prior to July. Okay, that just was not seen. Those were extremely rare. We didn't see that. okay. Number two, the viral load is not speculation. I'm going to maybe speak about that a little bit with Ryan Cole. The Oxford study of the Vietnamese healthcare workers who were vaccinated showed that they had a 251-fold greater viral load. Microevolution dictates that that's what would happen, as happened with the chickens. And then all of the studies showing right around that five, six-month window is when the leakiness really accelerates. Okay, it doesn't take a genius to realize that can happen. Now, it could be Delta plays a little bit of a role in the sense that it is more transmissible. So, in other words, naturally God has a blessing that if it the more transmissible it becomes, the less virulent. Um, as explained in that article on Merrick's disease, what a leaky vaccine allows is using the vaccinated as a conduit to build up the viral load quicker and it could spread to more people quicker and then kill the ones that aren't vaccinated. So what you're having is the worst of all worlds. We have it, meaning this would have happened regardless of what variant. You know, let's say it wouldn't have mutated at all. We would have had the ancestral Wuhan strain still in circulation. It would have broken out too. The increased viral load, except now you have the um, devastating part of Delta, which is the quicker transmissibility, but now the enhanced viral load of the Pfizer variant. Hence the disaster that I, in my mind, is akin to watching people leaning over the hundred story of the World Trade Center with flames engulfing the building. And they're like, what can we do to save them? All these people are desperate. Where do I get treatment? Again, it's not ivermectin. Let me, let me, let me tell you something. Next week, we're going to have a terrific... You know what? I'll tell you his name already. Terrific guest on Dr. Eric Hansen of um, East Texas, near kind of near Tyler. I don't know exactly what town he's in. And there's nobody who treats COVID. Nobody. Nothing. So the ER, even... So no outpatient, PCPs, anything. The ER will tell people, go to Hanson. Hey, at least they're telling them where to go. <laughs> Better than saying, go to hell. This guy is not a primary care physician. This guy is a head and neck cancer surgeon. A lot of things. He does, does a lot of things. He's an ENT too. Um, he's a specialist. But he's converted one part of his clinic, office, whatever, to COVID patients that aren't his patients. And he treats them for free. And yet people like him are put before boards, are trashed, are demonized. Throughout this whole ordeal, I have seen the best of humanity, and I've seen the worst of humanity. It's unbelievable. It's unbelievable what I have seen. The best of humanity and the worst of humanity. People that are willing to do anything they can. Let me tell you a story about Dr. Hansen. This man, um, you know, last night I had a, a state rep from New Hampshire call me up and said, I know a pregnant woman who's kind of in trouble. And she had high fever for a little while. She's on day eight, I, I want to say. She's 16 weeks pregnant. So she's out of the first trimester, which is the worst to be in, but but not great. I mean, you're beginning the second one. And high fever and her sats were between 93 and 96 so that is really where you want to bomb away at it go all out but the problem is she's pregnant and i was like oh man i was like man i don't know what to say with that um i know you could take hydroxy but it's kind of late in the process i don't know how much it will work um who knows and i it's funny i first got a hold of next week's guest eric hansen But in the meantime, she, because I, a while back, put her in touch with Dr. Cole. So I think Dr. Cole has her covered. Which is our next guest. (laughs) Um, And again, these guys are doing it for free. For freaking free. They're big shots. They're brilliant. They're so good at what they do. And they could easily coast. They're taking on liability for nothing. And they get demonized. While these dirtbags will literally pull plugs out of people. And what is so dire here, last year, pregnancy was a joke. It's in the data. They were not more vulnerable. And I don't think they're more vulnerable now than someone their age who's not pregnant. The problem is, it's harder to treat. The problem is, beforehand, you didn't need to treat it. Um, my sister-in-law, last I guess last year, she was 39, and she was pregnant. She had a kid. She got COVID. She didn't have any treatment. It was a nothing. It was like, it wasn't a flu. It was a cold. Nothing. And that's how most... Women in their 30s would have gotten COVID, 20s and 30s, which is why pregnancy wasn't much of a problem. And the stress and the testing and the fascism and the mask, that was a much bigger deal than COVID. But now, with the 250 times viral load created by Pfizer, now it is more of a serious issue. So... You know, I, I told him, look, we got, we got Ryan on the case. This morning, Hanson texts me, how's that pregnant woman doing? Okay? How's that pregnant woman doing? And I was like, this guy's got his regular practice. He's treating all sorts of strangers for COVID. And he texts me, how is she doing? This is the difference between humanity. The media has the ability to make gold crap and crap gold they flipped the world upside down remdesivir is amazing the vaccine which is causing all this is amazing while treatment is garbage and i was like she needs budesonide in the nebulizer on her lungs now it's so easy to get if you if you would you know if pe- doctors would prescribe and you know Hansen was very nervous you know without you know, doing this from afar, like, yeah, I should call her OBGYN. And I was thinking, that's when it hit me. I was like, the same OBGYN who believes COVID is so serious that even a pregnant woman should get a vaccine that is already causing so much problem, so many miscarriages, has not been fully studied in pregnant women by their own admission. But once a woman, a patient of theirs gets COVID, the bastard has nothing to say. And I'm not even talking about ivermectin. Hydroxy is approved for pregnant women with lupus. Budesonide. Simple. Get down that pulmonary inflammation. If I wore an OBGYN last February, not only like every doctor should have been doing, I would have been combing the literature, combing the evidence, combing the reading and reading and speaking with people like I do in my own job and coordinate and learn and learn on best practices with treating thrombosis and inflammation and what to do with this virus. But in particular, as an OBG, I would have studied, darn, but if you're a pregnant woman, your options are more limited. So what are the things that you absolutely cannot take if you're pregnant? What are the things that aren't recommended just because they're not studied? But you know what? If you're in a pickle, you're worried about her oxygenation, it's really going to harm the kid. By hook or by crook, what could I give her? And we don't have the answers to that. Truly, truly disgusting and satanic. Now, speaking of satanic, we know we need representation in the courts. For over 27 years, Lines Defending Freedom has been standing up for religious liberty, sanctity of life, freedom of speech, marriage, parental rights in America's highest courts. And look, while I don't have long-term faith in anything in in the Republican judges, this victory on abortion that you know Texas is now able to limit abortion under six weeks— um, ADF has really, you know, prepped the um, ground for that over the years. With the family, freedom, and even basic biology uh, Biology under assault, ADF needs your support now more than ever. Go to slash cr to get their free copy of their ebook titled Generational Wins so you understand uh, the vitality of their work. The reason you do is because they need help from patriots like you. Um, unlike the left that has five lawyers per every illegal alien. Um, we don't, and we have very little money. There's no money to be made in anything that's righteous, as we're seeing both in law and in medicine. That's why they need your support. Again, ADFlegal.org CR. Now, before we bring on our guest, I just want to um, go over, give over to you one story. I, you might have seen me put it out on Twitter. So my 12-year-old nephew... On my, it's on my wife's side that he he lives here in Baltimore County. Uh, he was riding last week. Was it Tuesday? His first day of school. And he was hit by a dump truck, a Baltimore County dump truck. Um, now, if he was cruising, he would have been killed. The guy was t- turning in. So he, I couldn't have been going that fast. I still don't know the details. Long story short, um The good news is his head, neck, and spine and back miraculously are okay. Bad news is three broken ribs, broken pelvis, broken wrist, um, full of lacerations and bandages all over his wrist so they can't even cast it, Um, and a couple of internal injuries that they were borderline going to do surgery, but I think they feel they could do without it. So he actually is coming home today um, after about a week and a half in the hospital, which is Pretty good. Hopefully that's the right decision. Um, So, you know, he'll live. He'll get better. He's a very resilient kid. But that's a tremendous amount of pain and discomfort and recovery ahead of him. Because he can't, like, what, like ribs, arm that you can't even cast because the way it is, and a pelvis. Like, what do you even do with that? Unbelievable. So you imagine you're a nurse, you're a doctor, and you have a patient, a 12-year-old, that comes in like that. My uh, sister-in-law told me that the staff there were trying to pressure this kid, 12 years old, to getting a COVID shot. Mind you, this was after they told them that he has antibodies from prior infection. I don't think there is a cure for that degree of mental illness. I don't think this is natural. I do think that Satan has flipped a switch in the world that is created and it it is God's judgment for whatever reason that we need to pray for mercy that this stops. That the same people that will look a COVID patient, elderly COVID patient in the eyes and say, drop dead, I won't give you nothing, is the same one that will take a 12-year-old who's not at risk and has has, has better immunity than they might have Wally's in pain from a pelvis break and traumatized and try to get him to take the COVID shot that is leaking and causing enhancement of the disease and is bringing in increasingly more COVID patients who are vaccinated. That is a personal story I can vouch for. I, I have no words. I, I don't know what to say. But all I could take comfort is and people like our next guest, people with compassion. Now, our next guest really doesn't need an introduction, and if I tried to do it, I would spend too long. Dr. Ryan Cole um, is really one of our most popular guests. I get so much great feedback from you guys whenever I have him on. Uh, uh, Mayo trained, Mayo uh, Clinic trained pathologist, but he's so much more. He owns the largest independent lab in Idaho. But right now, he is really America's COVID doctor. Um, I cannot tell you guys, just like I said about some of the other doctors, he has done me so many personal favors to people that someone that I know who knows another person who knows another person. And I was thinking to myself last night, imagine if every community would have a PCP, an internist, a, a, a family medicine guy that does this, so we don't have to sit and go to the specialist that it's not even their job. And they literally do this for free. And they get accused of running scams while the people who are running the greatest scams are the greatest human beings alive. But we have a lot to catch up on. I wish I could have warned you guys to get some of your questions in. But I'll try to, you know, make this broad as much as I can. With no further ado, Dr. Cole, thanks so much for joining us today.
0: Oh, Daniel, it's always a pleasure to be with you and thank you for those kind words. And there are so many topics we can cover because it's just a ball of yarn unraveling right now and looking forward to the questions and just going down the, the pathways of science, logic, and truth with you. Thank Folks, you. Folks,
1: this is your private medical school. Just so you know, after this show, you will know more than a teletubby doctor who's been practicing for fifty years and and evidently um, has amnesia about the existence of budesonide and prednisone when it comes to COVID, even though he'll discover it for everything else. But Dr. Cole, um, I, I want to get to treatment, but I want to start with the epidemiological issues. I want to start with the most immediate concerns. And the good thing is you're also a listener to the show when you get a chance, you know, when you're driving the car and you hear me. Um, I want to know what you think of my theory of Merrick's disease, some sort of Merrick's disease phenomenon, where none of us expected this virus to become more virulent. We are, you know, you and I talk about this every day. We we see people in their 20s and 30s that are getting slammed by this like never before. They're getting slammed quicker. It's not just more transmissible. It's following the opposite of Mueller's ratchet. It's getting, you know, more virulent at the same time. It's crushing people. It's killing people. Um, it's not just the Delta because Europe that got the Delta earlier had the typical experience where it was more like a cold. Um, I read the stuff on the chicken vaccine, and they say, if even there's an inkling of a leaky vaccine, you have to suspect this. Now we know this is insanely leaky. Dr. Cole, how is this not creating some degree of enhancement?
0: It is it is creating a degree of enhancement and to your point, and I would encourage all of your listeners just to take five minutes. There's some excellent articles. I know you linked in one of your blogs about this and I know you've chatted about it a bit, but we are seeing with this current variant, definitely higher viral volumes uh, than we were seeing with the previous variants. And if you look historically at those flocks of chickens, and there's a chicken virus that they vaccinated against, and it's a deadly virus, and the more they vaccinate, the higher, as as the virus evolves and mutates in those chicken flocks, the higher the viral volume the vaccinated chickens carry, and they vaccinate again, and the virus evolves, and there's higher volumes to where the vaccinated chickens end up carrying insane amounts of virus, and then the unvaccinated chickens are highly susceptible. So what we're seeing with Delta, and I think a great example of this is the Oxford study just recently out of Vietnam in healthcare workers that had received an adenovirus vector vaccine, so one of the genetic vaccines, and they found in those hospital workers who had all been vaccinated, a 251-fold increase of virus. Now, the way we're causing this is we are still giving a shot that is for the D614G variant of the virus, which essentially left the population in most of the world back in January and February, We don't even have that variant circulating anymore, essentially, almost all viral variant now is Delta. So the shot early on was neutralizing with some antibodies, portions of that spike. And so people claim statistically, and I hope it's true that it decreased some symptomatology and prevented some hospitalizations and death. You know, I'd, I'd like to think that's true. But now with the current variant circulating, those antibodies that helped neutralize that spike, which is not in the general population of the world anymore, those same antibodies have now become our enemy. And I've brought this up time and time and time again. And I warned my colleagues about this in March of 2020. I said, this is not how you do it with this family of viruses. Now those antibodies, Instead of neutralizing that spike protein, a lot of these antibodies, because of the mutation and the different shape, that lock and key uh, shape of the spike and the antibody has changed, now those antibodies are binding but not neutralizing. And when you have lots of binding antibodies, especially in the region of the N-terminal domain of this spike, that's where we're seeing a lot of that shape bent now, and these these antibodies bind there. Now, when they bind, your immune cells say, oh, that looks tasty, and they gobble them in, and the virus uses your own immune cells as a replication factory. So we're seeing insane amounts of virus copy within the individuals infected now with Delta, and now we know the vaccinated carry equal, if not higher volumes of virus, just like in Merrick's chickens. And now we're, we're scratching our heads going, oh, how's this wild spread that we're seeing possible? Well, because anybody and everybody can be a vector for it now, especially the vaccinated when we know that they can carry a higher vi- viral copy So this is very scientifically concerning. There was a study out of France, a small one that looked at uh, some in vitro in the laboratory studies, as well as in vivo, and they looked at these antibodies both from the blood of the patient as well as in the lab studies and said, hey, uh, here's our early signs of immune priming and antibody-dependent enhancement. These individuals in these studies are carrying those binding non-neutralizing antibodies, what does that mean? Well, that means, obviously, the vaccine was leaky that we used. We are still, ironically and unscientifically, using that exact same sequence. When they say, get a booster, get a booster, I say, wait a minute, to the wrong spike. It's not a new booster. It's not a new sequence. They're telling people, we want to boost your antibodies. We want to boost your antibodies. And I say, but you're boosting antibodies that only bind and don't neutralize. And now you're actually enhancing the opportunity for higher viral copy in any individual infected, including the vaccinated. And it's scientifically illogical at this point. We absolutely have to pivot. And I know we'll talk again about treatments, but we have to pivot because everybody's, you know, we have this huge divide, this emotional divide between the vaccinated and unvaccinated etc guess what it's an equal opportunity virus now delta is essentially it's still SARS-CoV-2 yes it's a variant of it but its behavior due to how we have put selection pressure on the change and have essentially selected for this new variant it's an equal opportunity infector of all now and so we can't have this mentality of, oh, I'm vaccinated. I'm okay. Guess what? No, you're not. Mm. You're not now. Studies, you know, I, I was listening to the UK data this morning that said 30% of sick people in the UK are vaccinated. If you look at their numbers from last month, and again, the United States has very poor tracking and very poor data very yes. retrospective other countries is where you find out what's <laughs> going on you do look at israel you you do look at the uk you do look at iceland
1: and by the way just and on that point month- i'll give you um uh, a data point i forgot to mention to my audience you just reminded me a very important <clears throat> where I, where i live in baltimore there is this faith based ambul- volunteer ambulance service so kind of like a, a volunteer firefighters but volunteer emts it's a jewish uh, ambulance service and they have testing centers and they have um, infusion centers for the monoclonal antibodies. And they actually put out a really good alert. And I give them a lot of credit because again, private volunteers. So there's no dog in that fight. It's not like, you know, Johns Hopkins here, or university of Maryland system or something like that. And, you know, they had to put in the obligatory mask nonsense and made up stuff with that. But they were like, dude, th- people think it's not happening in-, in Maryland. You know, it's mainly in the South now but it is and it's vaccinated just like unvaccinated and they actually said they've had 70 infusions this month in in their centers and 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 it's considered relatively low spread here and the majority of them were vaccinated people so this is not just yeah you got roped into some PCR testing positives they they felt bad enough to go for the monoclonals
0: yeah exactly i have a uh, my best friend's a firefighter. You know, on on the weekends before COVID happened a year and a half ago, I had a life, and I did saw milling on the weekends and woodworking, creating. I, I That part of my life is in the rearview mirror right now. But he, um, as a firefighter, uh, last week went on 20 calls in one night for acutely ill patients. And of the 20 acutely ill patients he went to attend to that night, 19 of them had been double vaccinated. Wow. So whatever we're hearing in the media, and we hear, oh, it's a disease of the unvaccinated, I would like to see the actual data. Every time I hear that, I had a friend at a local hospital call me yesterday. Okay, my uncle, my brother, my sister, my grandma, all vaccinated, all sick, and not just tested positive, like you said. These are sick individuals. So... Again, I'm not here to judge anyone. People got a shot. People didn't get a shot. What we need to do is the humanitarian thing right now and be intellectually and scientifically honest and yeah. say it is now an equal opportunity virus for everybody, because all of the data that you hear reported and the efficacies and this, that and the other, that was pre-Delta. So all these appro- these supposed approvals that have happened and things like that, that was all data from back in March. That's not new data so the new data to be understanding of what's really happening you do have to look at those overseas data because they're they're forward thinking they give weekly updates they give the variants of concern they're doing better sequencing they're doing better statistics in their national health yeah. services and whatnot and it's different. It's different. We're, we're dealing with the behavior of a different virus, and to that selection pressure of those Merrick's chickens, we're seeing a very similar pattern. And it's a high viral load issue yes. now. So oh. getting to treatment is far more important now, be it the monoclonals or be it some of the other drugs which shall not be named, you know. It's critical to get those on board because people have higher viral copy. I did a presentation with um, a group out of Canada, COVEX at Canada, and I, I showed the graphs of what the spike looks like and where the mutations are because of how that little cleavage site between the S1 and the S2 subunit, it's called a furin cleavage protein. It was the good indicator that this is an engineered virus, which is maybe a reason that it's behaving more aggressively instead of less, but that there's a mutation near that cleavage site. With the earlier variants, about 10% of virus could, uh, once bound to cell, could be cleaved and get into your cell. Now with Delta, what we're seeing, that cleavage site gets cleaved so the S1 and S2 subunits can split and do their thing. And, you know, the S1 splits off and then causes clotting and disease as it floats away into your system. And the S2 binds to the surface of the cell and helps the virus get in. But now about 75% of bound virus to any given cell Mm -hmm. can get in. So that's another scientific explanation as to why we're seeing so much more viral load in both vaccinated as well as and while pe- and why people crash quicker. Per, ha- Correct. Yeah. Even those, you know, those surprising. I know you and I have talked about, you know, these surprising scenarios in some of these young, healthy individuals that don't fall into those obesity, diabetic, um, mul- multiple comorbidity categories. And we do hear those anecdotal cases, anecdotal cases in the news, and it's very sad and unfortunate. But that's part of the reason that we're seeing. It affects those individuals uh, pretty fast and hard as well.
1: So, I want to get to a little bit later what to do about that and practical advice, but just want to close the circle here on this um, viral enhancement of viral load. This is eerie. I'm looking at the PBS article, and it was very well done. It was when the study came out on Merrick's disease in 2015. And they said to test the imperfect vaccine hypothesis. So that's the hypothesis of if you mass vaccinate with a leaky vaccine in humans, you would need to monitor the vaccine response for either a large or isolated population for for a long time. Um, And doing this would allow researchers to gauge how the vaccine interacts with the virus. And if the relationship isn't evolving, does the vaccine merely reduce symptoms or does it also keep patients from getting infected that much the government is saying and, and and they're already outdated because it's already leaking on even the critical ill protection like we said that ship has sailed if you are vaccinated with pfizer in particular, January, February, you're, 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 most of them are done with, but, and then, and then they say, look, it's important that we pay close attention to the Ebola vaccine in the ongoing trials, because again, they started the article by noting Ebola is like the paradigm of an extremely deadly vaccine, but thank God, microevolutionary theory, look, because it's so virulent, it's harder to transmit, and basically, they note that you don't want to make Ebola that spreads like a cold. Now, I'm not trying to panic people and exaggerate here, but Dr. Cole, if we continue the vicious cycle of a booster now, so won't the following happen? Won't it be like, you know, the virus will say, hey, baby this is all you can eat buffet here. Like I'll have my cake and eat it too. Yummy, yummy antibodies that that don't neutralize me. I'll go in, do the Trojan horse business, run up the score with the viral load. And then we have on our hands for the first time in humanity, an Ebola like virus that spreads like a cold.
0: Well, and I, you know, I'm going to try to temper that. Thank God. (laughs) I agree with the assessment. I'm going to temper it in this regard. This, thank, thank heavens, is not Ebola. Thankfully, as you and I know, statistically, so many people survive this virus. 99 plus percent you stratify by age, court, age cohort. You know, you go to age 50 and 99.98% survive with early treatment, even more survive. But to, to that point, thankfully, this is a coronavirus. Yes, it's deadly in many, especially with comorbidities. However, it is not as deadly as Ebola or Marburg virus or viruses like that. Now, are we are we selecting for more spread with a leaky vaccine? Yes, we are. Are we going to get to a point to where everything's just a binding and there are no neutralizing antibodies left? Well, look at Lambda in South America from their reports the Lambda variant has 100% escaped the vaccines. So now, to your point, those who are susceptible still or don't have broad natural immunity are, and, and essentially at this point, because what we're seeing, everybody's going to at some point get this. So the question is, how prepared are we to get the virus? If you're vaccinated, if you're not vaccinated, you're still equally susceptible to getting this i am hopeful i'm gonna i'm going to be the eternal optimist here and say gratefully most people survive this and this is not one of those more virulent ones hopefully we're not selecting for more virulence in a future variant by doing what we're doing and another little glimmer of hope is if we look in retrospect now at what happened in india where Delta burned through, mm. Delta technically, is the India strain, we do see high seroprevalence yes. of, of immunity in some of those provinces, 75%. And you've heard me use the analogy before of if you have natural immunity. Did I, I, on the show, did I give the bicycle example on the show before? You know what?
1: Do do that again. I'm, I'm not, not sure, sure, but I think people need to hear it.
0: Okay. Yeah, this, this is a good way to think of it because people are trying to, I guess— frame the picture. What does natural immunity mean versus a a vaccine immunity? Imagine a bicycle is the virus and the front tire is the spike protein. Well, you get a shot, you get antibodies against that front tire. You get an infection, you get antibodies and T-cell memory against the handlebars, the frame, the seat, the post, the cranks, the pedals, the chain, the back tire, the spokes, the cables, the grips, everything. So now you have antibodies in T-cell memory from your natural infection, your COVID recovered, to all those different areas. Now the bicycle gets into a crash and that front tire is bent, a la here we have Delta bicycle with the bent front tire. So now those who got the shot, they don't have as many antibodies now that recognize that bent front tire so, their immune system says, "Wait, we we made antibodies to the front tire. Now it's a different front tire. It's bent. We can't quite we we can't quite attach to this. Meanwhile, those naturally infected go, "Oh yeah, the front tire's bent, but guess what? My body remembers the entire rest of the bicycle." And so that's the supremacy of natural immunity over a vaccine immunity. And in nature, And in vaccinology, we take a portion of a natural infection, and that's how we mimic and try to make a vaccine. A vaccine is simply just a part of a natural infection that we're trying to mimic to give immunity. Well, we know with these shots that we're not giving immunity, it's leaky, we're only decreasing symptoms to the whole Merrick's chicken example. That's exactly what's happening. We are not neutralizing. We're not providing immunity. We're only decreasing symptoms. Again, I am, I'm the eternal optimist. I think there are things we can do treatment-wise, yeah. as you know, but at the same time, scientifically, thank heavens this is a coronavirus and not an Ebola virus. That's the good So news. I'm
1: going— So there is— So there is hope. Go ahead. Yes. Yeah. So I'm going to enhance your point and then challenge it, and I want to get your response. So to to enhance enhance what you're saying just from a data point, um, because I'm I'm praying, um, you know, I'm just I'm sick to my stomach from what I'm seeing. I mean, you know, we we've been doing this, you know, the last couple weeks, and I uh, I guess I know just a flavor of what it's like to see dying people that you know doctors are used to all the time, Um, but. One of the, one of the things I was thinking is that with the Merrick's chickens thing, because we already had in most places, let's say roughly thirty forty percent seroprevalence in a given area built up, and we saw India. I went from about twenty two to seventy with Delta, and then there's always you know maybe a five ten percent extra that are fully T cell immune. They just weren't presenting in those tests with with antibodies. So. Um, and, and they they appear to be done with it so my hope is with all of the devastating pain and we are going to get a backlog of terrible terrible deaths including younger people in Florida Texas um, Louisiana Arkansas Mississippi um, you know Tennessee the Carolinas the the northern south is is still kind of through you know getting getting through it um, but that once it is over there it is true that in theory the vicious cycle of boostering, which they're going to do and we're not going to be able to stop, would create another screwball against the unvaccinated and then increasingly the vaccinated, and this one will offer even shorter window of protection. But there won't be much ground to plow because I'm telling you, everyone I know, I check up on them who lives in these states, everyone got it. It's unbelievable. This was not the case in the previous waves as much as we thought it was you know spreading everywhere and a lot of people did get it that's my only hope that the the clock will run out on the virus that you know it's like you know you're beating the hell out of people but the game's over you know the 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 buzzer goes off and that you know it it won't have enough um people to run through anymore uh thank god that that's my hope but but here is the question i'm going to challenge you with dr cole and i and i and i <laughs> okay. and i expect a good answer the, this is one of the most common question I get from the very smart listeners I have. And they're like, wait a minute, Daniel. I know you've shown me mountains of evidence about natural immunity. And it's holding up, and so far it has been holding up. But I am hearing more cases of people getting reinfected very mildly, um, more so than before. But let me – I don't want to go with anecdotes. If this is a variant issue, then it's like, yeah, you know – uh, the the T cells be like, hey dude, you ain't fooling me. Like I, I see I see you a mile away. Uh, SARS one uh, T cells have been shown in vitro to recognize SARS two from a totally different uh, line of viruses. All great, but if this is an issue of um, this viral load enhancement created by mass vaccination with a narrow spectrum spectrum leaky stupid Pfizer vaccine, so then the issue becomes. 250 times the viral load, like in the Oxford study. So then my question to you is this. My parents got measles and mumps. They're definitely immune even even 65 years later, whenever they got it in their childhood. Um, but what if I took measles or mumps in a lab and I magnified it by 250 and then injected it in them? You see where I'm headed with this. Does natural yeah, immunity in- fall eventually by a creating Amerix-disease-style viral load enhancement?
0: Uh, maybe is the answer. Again, it has to do with family of virus and behavior of virus. So really, it, it, it's interesting. So if you have a memory cell, say you have 10,000 copies of virus, well, a memory cell can crank out 10,000 antibodies every couple of minutes. and and. So at the site of entry, here's a critical uh, important point you and I chatted about the other day. In the naturally immune, again, all those antibodies to the bicycle plus the T cell memory, in the naturally immune, in addition to your IgG that you all hear about in the news, oh gosh, my antibodies are waning. Guess what? That's fine. Your antibodies are always going to go down to a level of almost undetectable. It doesn't mean you don't have memory. Obviously, the more vitamin D you take, the better you maintain any immune memory to any infection over a lifetime. So get your levels above 50, get that normal. But IgA antibody, our body at the site of entry with this virus, the eyes, the nose, the throat, those who've had natural immunity, natural infection have a ton of IgA immunity. There are some IgA deficient individuals in society. You can test for that and you need to know if you are a deficient individual. But you can, in the naturally immune, as long as this virus is still If you look at SARS-CoV-1 to SARS-CoV-2, as long as the virus as it continues to evolve is about 80% the same, then those naturally immune have that extra layer of protection. This is why the vaccinated are carrying higher viral load. They don't get an IgA response in the eyes, the nose, the throat from the shot. So those cells in that area of the body, the virus says, huh, You think you remember me, but guess what? You don't. And so you get tons of viral copy there. So I'm still, again, optimistic into the future. Measles and some of those you mentioned, those are very conserved viruses in terms of how little they mutate. But even if you overloaded and brought higher viral copy on, the individual that has had memory to those viruses would still have a lot of that IGA immunity mm-hmm. where that virus enters the body. And that's a very protective—I mean, that's like having soldiers at the gate. It's like having the Great Wall of China and a moat and, you know, cajillion crocodiles. That IGA antibody is so pivotal in our immunity.
1: Now, I think—so people don't think you're just kind of making this up and whatever. I think a good proof to what you're saying is, you know, because, again, I'm— I'm very, like, I want to see data on the last few weeks, the last month, when this thing being that same viral load that is now knocking down and killing a 30 year old healthy person. But at the end of the day, if you did have prior infection, what I've noticed is all you guys, you know, the whole, let's call them the patriotic doctors, unlike the other clowns, you will get right up to a patient and you're always around it. And you, and almost all of you guys have gotten it. Um, some more recently, some a while mm-hmm. ago, and you have not had a problem with it. So my viral load theory of overloading the prior immune doesn't seem to be panning out. Could you explain some of your experiences, you know, with that as as a, as a physician?
0: Yeah, yeah, and and to your point, many of us have worked our way through COVID, and. As we get re-exposed, if you look at the commentary of of Dr. McCullough, he he states, if you really look at the literature, a a double-sequenced case of the virus two times in the naturally immune really isn't present in the literature. So he says, you know, one in 100 million, one in a billion I slightly disagree in the sense that even if you've had COVID, it doesn't mean the virus isn't going to get into your mucosa. Mm. And you may have a scratchy throat and a tickly nose for a couple of hours, but that's simply a sign that, yeah, the virus got in you again, but you clear it so fast compared to the either naive individual and or that vaccinated individual that cannot neutralize it there on the mucosal sites. So, yeah, it's not that you can't acquire... um, copies of virus you're certainly it it's ubiquitous it's everywhere in the environment just like cdc said you could mask everybody and vaccinate everybody and delta is still going to spread so it's basically a wildfire it's present it's spreading quickly the hope is that we get a lot of natural immunity from it and we help most people survive this and but to to the point or say those this is an important one that came out just recently and and this is an important one, I hope some of my medical colleagues and skeptics are listening to this. There is a very important molecule in our body called interferon, and we make several types of interferon, and interferon helps cause fever. When we have a fever, your immune system actually revs to to two to three times its normal activity in terms of speed and turnover. The virus hijacks one of our interferons, a type one interferon. And it says to ourselves, Hey, I'm here. You guys just kind of go to sleep. You don't need that interferon thing. And it allows the virus to just sneak in and just replicate like mad. In a handful of individuals, unfortunately, they make an antibody against their own type one interferon, that critical molecule that's necessary for revving an immune response against a viral infection. And we're finding in some studies those who have been hospitalized or in the ICU. You know, certainly we hear low vitamin D is a high risk factor, sure. But we just learned recently from a big study this was 35,000 patients they looked at if you have that auto antibody against your own interferon doesn't matter what age group you're in, these individuals are highly susceptible to ICU and bad outcomes. So we can pre-measure up front. The moment a patient is hospitalized, they should get two tests. What's your vitamin D level? And the second test is, do you carry an autoantibody against interferon? The elderly tended to have uh, more of this autoantibody, up to 14% in one cohort, The younger the age the less the autoantibody was present but it was still six to nine percent in some cohorts under age 40 or so so this is one of those other things where we scratch our head and go why are these supposedly healthy individuals getting sick well that's one reason and and again this is evolving science it's a new study it's critically important and it's something that physicians can look at and go oh we need to be much more vigilant with this sick patient because they can't mount that response. Well, you know, guess what stimulates a lot of interferon when it tickles your nucleus, ivermectin. That's why beyond just the viral replication phase into the immune phase, it's a fantastic drug. That's why you see even some intubated patients where they give a big burst of ivermectin, it overloads that virus blocking your interferon. Mm. All of a sudden the interferon goes up and it tunes down the bad cytokines and puts you into a calm immune response. So this is, this is just a new thing, but I think it's critical for a lot of physicians to understand and know because it explains a lot of what we're seeing that's inexplicable, like those young people that you always give as examples.
1: That, that, that is very helpful. And by the way, guys, I want you to know that my latest column on CDC giving ivermectin to Afghan refugees, um, just know that I, I, unlike others that will just report on that, I, as always, go into great detail. And then go off into the mechanisms. So I do have from Dr. Cole um, the short form of the eight uh, mechanisms of action of ivermectin. And that is one of them. And then a link to my Twitter thread that has the more detailed explanation and links and videos from him as well. Um, okay, wow, this is rapidly uh, coming. Oh, boy, we're almost an hour here. But we're going to go a little bit over time because it's so important. Um, I want to get to the next part of this. Okay, so booster, booster, booster you have the threat of exacerbating the leakiness. But then there's also we can't overlook this is not a cup of water. This is not pepsid. This is not Tylenol. Okay, this comes with some serious issues. And I don't wanna reinvent the whole wheel on that, on the on the, you know, side effects and everything. We all know about that. But what I wanna specifically say is uh, I was thinking of you. A German pathologist fairly recently came out with some sort of report, and basically, was saying, Look, you, you need to really do some autopsies because there's a lot more people that are likely dying from the vaccine that we are totally not getting. Um, and he certainly found that in his uh, autopsies, and, and the German Association, Association of Pathologists actually endorsed that idea. You have your own independent lab, you're a pathologist. Could you describe some things that you're seeing under the microscope from vaccinated blood samples that are disturbing you?
0: Yes. So the first one I'm going to describe is in the living, and that's a blood test called a D-dimer, which indicates clotting. And those who get a shot and say you get that headache or that achiness that just doesn't go away – Well, we can't see on x-rays or scans or CTs, we can't see microclots, but this is a huge marker in the laboratory where we can look at an individual post-vaccine who still has symptoms, symptoms, and looking at data and talking to colleagues as well, we're seeing this elevated for weeks and even months, which means they have microclots blocking off circulation to vital organs and vital tissue. So even in the vaccinated, we need to highly consider this in terms of putting them on something to bust up these clots and restore circulation and avert long-term, long-haul symptoms in the post-vaccinated as well. But when it goes to the autopsies, I don't have an autopsy suite in my lab here. I used to do a ton of them um, in other facilities over the years. But thankfully, after that talk that I shared, I've, I've had attorneys, I've had uh, fellow pathologists, I've had colleagues from around the country reach out and say, Let's study this. Unfortunately, there's still a lot of coroners that will not do an autopsy. A family will say, my family member had the shot. They died within days or a week or two weeks, and the coroners are still denying doing the autopsies. The families have to request it. They have to fight for it. Unfortunately, the private autopsies can be expensive. Mm -hmm. We We should have billions of dollars from the NIH going towards this. Because French legal system, a new product on the market should be treated as guilty until proven innocent. Every adverse reaction, every death should be investigated as though it were the cause until it's ruled out. Just like the German pathologist you mentioned, doctor I think it's Schirmer or Schirmacher, he did forty autopsies. And he said, "Look, 30 to 40 percent of these were vaccine-caused. Did he catch some verbal heat from the naysayers and the misinformation disinformation media? Of course he did. But he's the scientist. I, as the pathologist, see the patterns. I do have more autopsy tissue that's been sent to me from around the country I'm on my desk now that I've been studying. Once I have enough of them, like I, I will publish just like he did, and I'll, you know, 100 percent data analytic. I have no bias. If I see it, I see it. If I don't see it, I don't see it. And that's what we'll report. We can only report what we see in the patterns. But the patterns that I am seeing in the vaccinated, we are seeing excess clotting. We're seeing it in the lungs. We're seeing it in the kidneys. We are seeing inflammation in the heart. So there are multiple inflammatory patterns consistent with the virus itself and the post-vaccinated that are passing. Mm. Now, in in addition to that, what's concerning, we're getting this high media pressure, get a shot, get a shot, get a shot, in the middle of a spreading virus. You get a shot, you actually weaken your immune response while your immune system is ramping up antibodies to a spike protein, which is now obviously the wrong spike protein. A lot of your other broad general antibodies drop and go down. And some of those B cells for all those other things that could maybe attach and neutralize a bit, they go to sleep. So what we found, and there was a study in the UK that showed this, especially in the age 50 and older cohort, after that shot, you're actually at a higher risk for acquiring virus and a statistically higher chance of dying in those first couple week windows because now not only do you not have an antibody against the virus, and we know they're really not neutralizing now anyway, but you've also weakened your immune response. And so I I have one autopsy on my desk from an unfortunate gentleman I think that's what happened to him. He died two weeks after his second shot. And again, suppression of some of those other immune responses, His it looks like a mix of both in him. I think the vaccine weakened his immune response, and he may have gotten COVID in that window when his immune system was trying to ramp up um, antibody memory. This is, this is so really important.
1: To... Whoa, whoa. There's something. Wait a minute, Dr. Cole. You just... Set off all sorts of light bulbs here, you know. There's one thing: if it was off season, you know, March, April, like nothing was going on anywhere. But you know, if you're in the South now, so there's vaccinated and there's unvaccinated. You're unvaccinated, and you're like, holy heck, my neighbors, family, people around me are getting really critically ill, and, and 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 again because of our first discussion, you know, now they're saying, darn. I mean, I didn't think I'm young. I'm not. I didn't think it was a problem. Um, and and rightfully I didn't get the vaccine because the risk benefit ratio, but now, man, man, I better go out and get it. So they go out and get, so, and, and and they're encouraging them, get it, get it, without any nuance of timing. Like you say, hey, you're in the Northeast. Hey, buddy, look at what's going on in the South there. You better get vaccinated. And again, assuming that's the right thing to do, fine. But you're in the South, and it's going nuts. It's going everywhere. So you go and you get your first shot. Within that, what is it, one to two week window is when you have the problem?
0: About a two-week window and in in individuals that are a little more immune-suppressed where it's going to take them longer even to amount an immune response. Mm. It can be several weeks beyond that two weeks. So so, so just – The the politicians are –
1: No, I was just going to finish that point. Um, So therefore, not only is this likely killing people, but – they're counted in the unvaccinated pile. So um, Simone Gold, our friend, put Uh this out last night. CDC says now they're listing vaccinated COVID deaths as unvaccinated if they die within 14 days of the second shot. So certainly the first one, that's blamed on the unvaccinated cohort when in fact that narrow window is likely the most vulnerable of all three. There's really three cohorts.
0: Correct. And and we're actually making them more susceptible to a bad outcome. And we have politicians giving policy and preaching, look, it's spreading fast. Just get your shot, get your shot, get your shot. And and I, as a scientist, go, oh, wrong time, wrong season. We just need to have a pivot plan to treat these patients early, be it monoclonals, be it whatever. Because if you get – and I have a good friend just a week and a half ago – reached out, hey, I finally peer pressured, got the shot, and was gravely ill. And again, he's one of those younger in his 40s. But I thought, oh, my gosh, he fell to that pressure, got the shot in the middle of a, a widespread here where I am right now. And and all of a sudden, you are seeing more of these individuals getting sick very quickly because they've detrimentally weakened their immune system during that that initial immune response. And it's highly concerning that we have policymakers that don't know science that are pushing policies and recommendations that are against common sense. And, again, we don't have any public health officials saying, hey, this isn't a good idea. We need scientists saying, follow us. Science. Science knows what's going on. Immunology, virology knows what's going on. This is not how you do it. And to your earlier point, sure, you don't have a virus circulating. You're getting ready for that next viral season. You know what virus is coming along. Sure, get a vaccine against that future thing. Now you're protected. But in the middle of it, no, no, because now we're seeing even more problems. And, yeah, it's three groups now, essentially. It's three yes. groups. Yeah, I would, stratify any it.
1: good data would take a look at that, you know, have the one shot maybe within 14 days. You want to vet that out, that's fine. Take it out of the vaccinated pile, but don't put it in the unvaccinated pile because that, that's that's a different story. Now, we got to do this within 15 minutes Hard, hard—a deadline. Two more things I want to go over. The last one will be just treatment. Uh, we're just going to do kind of guidelines, um, uh, uh, advice. But first, I just want to finish the discussion of the vaccine problems. Um, what are some of the concerns you have as a pathologist um, for the long-term prognosis for possible greater risk for cancer from the vaccine?
0: Okay. And this is a very concerning pattern and we're studying it, we're looking... Your T cells are are your, the marines of your immune system. They're always on high alert, they're circulating in your body all day long, shaking hands with every cell, friend or foe, friend or foe, friend or foe, infected, not infected. And they they blow up those cells that are not self or the ones that are infected with any pathogen. And they shake hands and go, wait, you're not one of us. You're a cancer cell. I'm going to blow you up. Well, there's a certain type of cohort of killer T cells that are very important to do this. And what I'm seeing in post-vaccinated blood patterns, I'm seeing a drop in the number of those CD8 T cells in some patients. And when I look at the tissue under the microscope, I can stain for all the different types of cells with special stains in the laboratory, and I can count and go, here's your helper T cells, here's your killer T cells, here's some other assisting type of white blood blood cells. So what I'm seeing, and this was confirmed in a Germany-Netherlands study of Pfizer, where they said, hey, we see a concerning drop of this CD8 T cell and toll receptor seven and eight and toll receptor four. And these are important for fighting off other viruses. So yes, I'm seeing an uptick of herpes, mono HPV, a couple of other viruses. We're seeing an uptick because for a window of time, you weaken that T cell response, especially that killer T cell response with those receptors. How long does that last? We don't know. And the whole world should be studying this. Every hospital, every laboratory Anytime someone has one of these post-vaccine reactions, we need to be measuring these things. What's your CD8 level? What's your CD4 level? There's a good nursing home study that showed the vaccinated versus the unvaccinated in that nursing home. The vaccinated dropped both their helper and killer T-cell levels compared to the unvaccinated and especially a lot more than the naturally immune. So these patterns, we don't know how long they're going to to sustain in these weakened patterns that fight off viruses, but more importantly, also fight off cancers. I have countless colleagues in all the different groups I'm in. I have a colleague. I have a friend. I have a patient. This type of cancer, stable, in check, two weeks, four weeks, eight weeks after their shot, boom, stage three, stage four metastatic disease. And they're like, how in the world were they so stable and then instantaneously their cancer is a wildfire? And we need to I I don't have the answer. I'm just saying this is an early warning sign. And I don't mean to be.
1: And and you're not saying we know. You're you're not saying we have confirmed that it's long term, but you're saying it seems to be at least short term after the vaccine.
0: Correct, and we don't have the, uh, we can't advance the clock, so we don't know yet. But this is something that I'm encouraging all of my colleagues to look at. If you see it, document it. If you see it, document it. Do those T cell studies on that patient. Go ahead and see. You know, do they have micro clotting? Do they have that D dimer? All these different things. The honest science would say we need to be looking. We need to be looking. We need to be looking. Am I seeing a tip of an iceberg? Yes. Do I hope I'm wrong? Always, I hope i 'm wrong on yep. this i 'm already seeing an uptick of certain things i 'm seeing the patterns, but we need to collate a lot of data and in the in the retrospectroscope two or three years from now i 'm afraid we 're going to find the cure was worse than the disease because we 've allowed a lot of these, these things to happen by tinkering with an immune system with a leaky vaccine. Mm. And I'm con- I'm concerned. And putting the so spike the behind is, you
1: know, enemy en- enemy lines, or putting the enemy behind your lines. Correct.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so we need to look. We you can't find what you don't look for. We need so just to, to
1: sum up.
0: And this is a tip of yeah, an iceberg. It could be the tip
1: yeah. of the iceberg. So just to sum up. So you have the antibodies. We we go and replace We we you know at the expense of the Navy SEALs, the CD8 T cells. We go in for the cheap sugar high you know, antibodies and everyone's, you know, you know even laymen think like antibodies are everything when in fact, you're, you're teaching it to do the, the you know, the, the less uh, efficient, effective thing. Um, so I always knew about this concern that overall, you know, you're going to be subject them to more autoimmune diseases, um, you know, make them more susceptible to viruses, fine. But you're positing and you're saying you're seeing this as a pathologist um something that's even more concerning and this is something that's very very new to someone like me i you know i view cancer as like boom it comes into your body and unless you have chemotherapy or something it's going to eat you alive it's going to destroy you but you're saying no Everyone almost always is potentially under assault for cancerous cells, and the same CD8 cells that protect against viruses to a certain extent patrol for cancer. And really, if they don't destroy it, but at least mitigated the metastasizing of the cancer. Did I explain that properly?
0: Correct. Absolutely correct. That, that is really yeah. important. All day Bob. long. All day long. That's what that job of that line of cells is in your body. Keep those things in check.
1: Jeez, this is, this is crazy. Okay, we're almost out of time. Um, this is getting very bad with the viral load comes along with that. Uh, more severe illness, quicker severe illness. Um, so people have much less time. I'm getting so many desperate emails. The people already have it, prophylaxis. Right now, could you just think of some of the best advice that people could do to prepare? Okay,
0: number one, don't eat sugar. Just cut sugar out of your diet right now. Sugar causes inflammation. Number two, sleep. Number three, stay hydrated. Number four, make sure your vitamin D levels are, are in high normal range, You know, 50. How many
1: IU should they take? Uh,
0: uh, you know, safely 4,000 a day if you don't get a blood test. If you're heavier set or carry more fat on your body, you probably need more because a lot of it is stored in our fat. If you're going to take vitamin D to make it work even better, take magnesium and a little bit of vitamin K2, about 100 micrograms of K2, magnesium, about 400 milligrams of magnesium citrate or anything that ends in A-T-E, ATE um, like I ate magnesium. So look for something a glycinate, citrate, blah, 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 because that helps enzymatically activate your vitamin D. Vitamin D signals a lot of your inflammatory uh, gene pathways to turn on or off. Uh, anybody basically above a, a vitamin D level of 50 has an incredibly low chance of, um, of being hospitalized. So, you know, that's, that's critically important. There are early treatments. Delta is a wildfire. It replicates faster. If you can get on early treatments, if your local doctors won't treat you, use one of the telehealth services to where you can get early treatment. I'm finding in these patients with a viral copy, you know, ivermectin, yes, I love that medicine. It's, one of the safest medicines on the planet, safer than aspirin or Tylenol. But you have to get more of it on board sooner for it to work. Layering it with hydroxychloroquine is a good thing. Um, Budesonide, yes, once you have pulmonary symptoms. Yes, phenofibrate. Yes, colchicine. Yes, steroids at the appropriate point once viral replication has stopped. You know, yes to ciproheptadine. Yes to pepsid. Yes to... um, Other antihistamines. But most importantly of all, COVID is a thromboembolic disease. It's a clotting disease. It's a clotting disease. It's a clotting disease. The moment you're positive, start taking an aspirin if you're not allergic to aspirin. So that's the baby aspirin,
1: 325 milligrams?
0: Uh, An adult is 325, a baby is 81. So Mm -hmm. in adults, and you've got to be careful with aspirin in kids. You know, there's something called Rye syndrome. So little kids, you know, I don't recommend it. And kids do pretty well against the virus anyway. But if you're an adult, take an adult aspirin every day. And Dr. McCullough will tell you for 28 days. Why? Because you see the clotting happen 10, 12, 14 days into the disease as well. So you want to, in Japan, in some cohorts, they're, they're, anticoagulating with aspirin for three months after mm. you get COVID. So of all those other things, yes, those are important, viral, altering, life-saving, but you've got to stop the clotting, and that clotting is really what kills people.
1: Got it. The clotting, make sure you have a nebulizer, make sure you have a pulse oximeter on hand. Um, any quick advice for pregnant women? And I know we I spoke about this before We that we We've dealt with this last night. It was a case um is there anything they they should know could they take aspirin?
0: uh they can take a baby. It depends on which trimester mm. you're in. You gotta be careful when you're early in pregnancy so you know you can ibuprofen has a little bit of an anti-clotting effect you got you got to be a little careful in pregnant women and so i'm not giving medical sure. advice to any one person but i i was helping a, a friend in new hampshire in the wee hours last night same scenario pregnant women can safely take hydroxychloroquine um nursing mothers can safe, safely take hydroxychloroquine the higher your vitamin D level, this is one thing most doctors don't even know, the higher your vitamin D level, vitamin D acts on clotting pathways as well, the far less inclined your body is to clot if your D is above 50 and normal. And that's why we see this MISC in children. This is why we see clotting in these individuals that are vitamin D below 30 or 20 in the ICUs. If your D is normal, again, it signals so many proteins in your body, it even has an anti-clotting effect. So in a pregnant woman, just make sure, again, you burn through it like fuel in a car tank. Make sure her D levels are normal. Um, I, I I would defer to some of my colleagues on some expertise in managing them, depending on what portion of the pregnancy she's in, which trimester. But there are things you can do. Yes, you can do budesonide nebulized. Yes, you can safely do steroids. Yes, you can do Pepsid. Yes, you can do so many of these other safe medicines that can tune down the inflammation and help wean them through the infection. So, yeah, you don't give up hope on anybody. There are things you can try and no individual is the same. And obviously, it's a concerning condition, but there are things you can do and logical things and mechanistic things and we we need to be compassionate to all this virus isn't political this virus is a humanitarian issue and we need to think logically engage our brains and think outside the box and use all the things we can to save a life including those pregnant women
1: last minor point here before we sew it up um, i'm just speaking conversationally here i was going to ask you anyway so i'll ask in front of everyone Dutasteride, um, these androgen blockers, Dutasteride is one of the ones that uh, Pierre Corey's group, FLCC, is recommending. Should it be the strategy at this point that, look... It's evil what they're doing with ivermectin, but if it's going to become so hard for people to get a hold of it anyway, and there's such a stigma against it, not that we should give up on it altogether, but should there be a strategy to go with these? I looked on GoodRx. It's like 10 bucks, like, and people get it for acne or, or hair loss that, again, take, some people take it for years, very safe, and the, um, our enemies are unsuspecting of what it's for, and it seems to have good action. Sh- should we go all in on that?
0: You know, I I, I laugh when you mention it. I'm like, dang, we just put a target on that one now. Because every time we find something that works, they take it away from us. But yeah, no, fantastic studies out of Brazil. When you do androgen blocking, again, the outcomes in these individuals are wonderful. It's so much better. And fantastic Brazil studies. They use proxalutamide down there. We have dutasteride here. We have finasteride here. You've got to be careful in certain cohorts. Especially in pregnant women with some sure. of those, because they can they can be teratogens, but it, but at the same time, the men tend to do worse and have worse outcomes with COVID. And if you can alter some of those hormone pathways with this androgen blocker, you can decrease certain. Uh, inflammatory pathways. Yes, it's a wonderful drug. It's another pivot. We need to look at anything and everything we can do to save a life. And, and it has a great signal so far. And it's something very, very worth looking at, especially in the acute hospitalized patient. And it's just for a burst. I mean, it's for a couple, couple, couple weeks. Um, But if it's saving a life and tuning down inflammation, wonderful. Another tool in the toolbox, another arrow in the quiver we can use.
1: Acne and hair loss. No one could have any beef with it. God forbid would we try to save someone who has COVID. No, all we're trying to do is prevent hair loss, and they should never have a problem with that. I really think it's something we should explore. Thank you so much, Dr. Cole. This has been like an encyclopedia. I feel like we've all gotten uh, you know, a semester of medical school in here. Um, good luck in your work. Thank you for your humanitarianism, your volunteering of your time, um, your compassion, your care. May God give you strength to really ramp this up and, and, and help us save humanity.
0: Thank you so much, Daniel. Always a pleasure. And thank you to your audience. And well. folks, thank we
1: are you. out of time till next week. God bless you all. And thank you for listening.